Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. I was really struck at the um, start of that song by a child yelling out, um, Dad, 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 Dad. And um, couldn't help but think that spiritually that's the kind of person that I want to be. Now I know that in my life, I just want to say that what I know I need, I get from my dad. Dad, 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 dad. Would we be that kind of people that would call upon our Heavenly Father in the same way, knowing that the only person that can provide every need is a person of our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God, we lean upon you tonight. We depend upon you for every good thing in our life. Um, some of us in this room are struggling. Some of us are full of joy. We depend upon you. Um, some of us are new to the faith and some of us have been um, in the faith for a long time. We depend upon you. Some of us in the room uh, wouldn't call you Lord yet and we would know that the rest of us in the room, what privilege it is to depend upon you. So we would ask that those people that are here tonight that don't call you Lord, that would you out of your mercy your great mercy, call them to yourself tonight. Would you call them your child? Would they see how beautiful you are, how wonderful you are, how your kindness leads us to repentance? Would there be worship in every part of this room tonight? For you are worthy of worship. We ask God that you would speak through your servant tonight. Would I just be a jar of clay that you use for your glory? I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I do wonder if your view of God is big enough tonight. If you need to, to increase your perspective of God. I know that there are seasons in my life where I need to repent from uh, worshipping the gift rather than the giver of the gift, right? I don't know if you had those seasons in your life where you pray and then God uh, answers your prayer and then you're so fixated on how well you have done that you forget the one who gave you the gift. I wonder if you've had that season in your life where you prayed for wisdom and then God delivers and you walk away thinking about how smart you are. Or you have a season in your life where you pray for strength and God answers and gives you strength and you walk away thinking about how strong you are to do it on your own. Or you have that season in your life where you've prayed for comfort and God delivers and you walk away thinking about how well you are living life without the help of those around you. I wonder if you've had that season in your life where you have started to worship the gift rather than the giver of that gift. I feel like uh, God uh, this year is really speaking to me through the book of 1 Samuel. And in the book of 1 Samuel, we have this very famous scene where um, the Ark of the Covenant is the central figure on display, where uh, God has given uh, the Israelites the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is this, um, this box beautifully decorated, to represent God's presence with them. What's magic about this box? Nothing at all. What is incredible about this Ark of the Covenant is who it represents. That God gave the Israelites this incredible gift and said, when I command you and you take this Ark of the Covenant into battle, you'll be victorious. And what happens is the Israelites had this incredible victory and they start staring at the gift. 
They forget the provision of the one who gave them the gift. They start fixating on the giver. Start fixating on the gift rather than the giver. And so they have this season in their life where they not only suffer an incredible defeat, but they actually lose the Ark of the Covenant altogether. I wonder if for some of us tonight we need to increase our perspective and to repent and fix our gaze back on the giver rather than his gift. If that is your problem here tonight, it is an ancient problem with God's people that we start to worship the gift over the giver. And when we do, we miss the greatest miracle this world has ever seen, the miracle of God with us and the miracle of God for us. That we would have this God who loves us so much that he would long to be with a people who do not deserve him. Is that where you are tonight? Have you slipped into worshipping the gift over the giver? Well, I believe this passage is going to be incredibly helpful for us tonight uh, as we uh, repent from that kind of thinking and fix our gaze back on the giver. So um, tonight we turn our attention to Acts 3. So if you don't have your Bible open, please open it. If you do not own a Bible, then please you have our permission to steal one of ours, which is in no theft in our book. Uh, Tonight we're going to be introduced to a man whose legs have never served him. He's never walked a day in his life. And through the miraculous supernatural power of God, he stands for the first time. But what the text gives us isn't just the story of a changed man. The text is going to reveal to us what it means to be a child of God. So look down in your Bibles at Acts 3. Verse 1, and tonight's topic is a greater miracle, a greater miracle. Verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's three in the afternoon. I would get up at 6 a.m. in the morning, so it's nine hours after that. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. The gate was a beautiful gate. Historians have guessed that it is the Corinthian gate, that it is this gate that stood 50 metres tall, that it was covered in um, bronze and covered in gold and covered in silver. And there were many entrances into the temple, but the entrance into this gate would have been a packed entrance. It says in verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us, look at us. We have this scene with a a lame man asking for cash, and it would have been his daily experience, his ritual every single day out of repetition that he would have begged for cash. Somebody would have carried him there. He would have not been able to get there on his own. And he would have received one of two answers. He would have received uh, pity, a couple of coins, or rejection, get out of my way. Those are the two responses that he would have predicted were coming his way. In verse 5 it says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Something, anything from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
What we have here, friends, is a miracle, an absolute miracle. The supernatural activity of God, a man's legs that were useless now becoming whole. An absolute miracle, legs do not mend themselves on command after a lifetime of activity, of inactivity. Now the miracle is incredible. But what this miracle reveals is actually something even greater. The warning when we see, uh, the warning when we come to miracles is that we stop at the miracles and see nothing else. That we open our Bibles and we see people healed and we stop there and think that the miracle alone is the healing. It's like when you give a present to a small child and you expect them to unwrap it and see what's beautiful underneath, but they get so enamored with the wrapping. But all the wrapping is supposed to do is lead you to the beautiful, greater depth inside. There is something beautiful, much more beautiful going on here, a greater miracle. So let me introduce you to greater miracle number one, the miracle of God's compassion. Amen? The miracle of God's compassion. It makes sense for us to reach out and save someone who is deserving of being saved. But it makes no sense for the writer of Acts to constantly elevate the marginalized to the center of the story unless he's trying to reveal something to us about the heart and character of God. Do you know who were the most least popular people groups in the ancient world? They were women, children, the poor, handicapped and the sinner. And do you know who is at the very centre of the story through Luke and through Acts? It is the characters of women, children, the poor, the handicapped and the sinner. We need to see that it is remarkable that those who wanted to spread the message of the gospel chose the least desirable characters to validate the claims about Christ. The writers must have been, uh, been fueled by two convictions. Conviction number one. That the Spirit would convict people of the truthfulness of the claims, but conviction number two, that God's compassion stretched out to even the least recognized people in culture. Even the most least recognized people in culture. What is the point of miracles in the Bible? Well, firstly, the point of the miracles is that they point outwards, they point to God's compassion to those people in need. They remind the church of God's heart for those on the margins. We are called to the ministry of compassion. We are called to the ministry of those incredibly unlike us. We are called to the ministry of pouring ourselves out to people who we can get nothing back from. How do we know this? Because this was the ministry of Jesus. Because this was the ministry of the early church. Compassion, compassion, compassion was a hallmark of the early church. But the question we should ask ourselves is, is compassion a hallmark of the church today? Is the church a mark of the church today? It's compassion. Uh, a few years ago, I was out celebrating a friend's, uh, friend's birthday out in the city and we were out um, at this venue, and it was getting late. And I don't, for, for me, I just seemed to have this, I had this um, invisible goal of being in bed by 9.30 every night, right? I never went through that stage of wanting to be out really late at night. And so about 9.30, I'm outside just praying to be able to go home. And this person comes up to me and starts a conversation with me. 
and we talk about work and we talk about life and we talk about family. And then we come to that part in the conversation. It was a Saturday night where they asked me what I was doing tomorrow and I said that I was going to church. And I don't know if it's your experience when you get asked about whether you go to church or not and you answer and you feel like you need to either duck for cover or brace. You don't really know what's coming your way. And so I said I was going to church the next day and this person gave me the response that I would have heard a hundred different ways, but it's all pretty much saying the same thing. This person said to me, um, oh, I thought about going to church and Jesus, but it's not for me. I want more love in my life, not more guilt. Maybe the version you've heard is church isn't for me. I can do without the judgment. Or maybe you've heard that uh, I can do without the shame. She said to me, I gave up on the idea of church because I need more love and compassion in my life, so I've started worshipping the Buddhist god Vishnu. How incredible it is that a person would feel like they need to turn their back on Jesus to find compassion. I remember feeling in that moment that great question popped up in my mind. Why would this person have no understanding of the compassion of Jesus? And almost as soon as that question came up in my mind, the answer came straight away. That's that so often so many churches don't have that revelation of the compassion of Jesus. That we don't understand that at the core of Jesus' ministry was doing ministry to on the margins, doing ministry to people on the margins who are incredibly unlike us. I'm convinced that the church forgets our call for compassion when we forget the compassion Christ has shown to us. We've forgotten how completely unworthy we are to tie the shoes of the one who has saved us. The compassion of Christ met us in our brokenness. It didn't meet us halfway. What did the paralytic man contribute to the restoration of his legs? Absolutely nothing. What did the blind man in the Gospel of John contribute to him finding sight? Absolutely nothing. What did the leper in the Gospel of Mark contribute to the restoration of his entire body? Absolutely nothing. The greater miracle that we see in Acts 3 is that someone so undeserving is able to receive the compassion of a God who owes us nothing. The greater miracle in this passage is that God is revealed as the compassionate one even to the most broken in the world. Here's the message that maybe someone needs to hear in this room tonight. You are not too broken for God. You are not too lost for God. The paralytic man was an outcast. Do you feel like an outcast? Not fitting into any one box? Like the word subculture doesn't make any sense to you because you feel like you're in a subculture of your own? You are not too lost for God. God has compassion for you. The paralytic man was an inconvenience. Are you in need? Do you feel shame because you just can't do it on your own? God has compassion for you in your situation. The paralytic man's physical needs were only outmatched by his spiritual needs. More than legs, the paralytic man needed a saviour. Have you recognised that underneath every one of your needs is the spirit tugging at your heart to the greater need? God's compassion is there for you tonight. The greater miracle in Acts 3 is that the gift of the miracle reveals the compassion of the giver, which points us to those desperately in need of saving. So here the miracle points us outwards. 
The miracle also points us inwards. Greater miracle number two, the miracle of God's provision. The miracle of God's provision. Look down in your Bibles in uh, verse 4. It says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Uh, In the lead up um, to working at City Reach, uh, I felt uh, my heart tugged to go into um, ministry in the life of a church. And so I spent time with friends and family members praying about whether I would come uh, look at being a staff member at City Reach. And I asked my wife and I asked um, her dad and I asked friends and I hadn't spoken to Pastor Timon about it yet and I'd been praying it through. And so um, I had a a lot of passion for it. Um, I had a great vision. I had excitement, right? And so I book a meeting with Pastor Timon. We don't really know each other very well at this stage. And I book the meeting and I come in and sit down and he, um, he says, okay, what do you want to talk about? And um, I said to him, uh, I want to work for you. And what I um, know about Timon is that Timon likes boldness. He can't catch a hint, right? And then so I book this meeting with him and I tell him um, that I want to work for you. And we have this conversation about uh, serving in ministry where he gives me this definition of ministry to a man who's excited, full of passion and a big vision. He, says, he gives me this definition of ministry. That ministry is doing what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. Ministry is doing what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. Ministry is doing what you cannot do, right? The call on the apostles was to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to go into the places where they knew they would be experiencing persecution. They knew that the goal was to spread the gospel to every single corner of the globe, something that they could not do. With what they do not have, one of the best lessons I've learned serving in ministry is that if you think your ministry success is based on your material resources, then you will always be under-resourced. Always be under-resourced. Here's a list of things I thought that were necessary for ministry success. Certain people. Oh, if we can just get that person in our ministry, then we would really take off. Certain strategies. Oh, if we could just come up with a perfect way to promote our programs, then we would really be making a difference. Cultural relevance. Oh, if I could just get a big enough rip in my jeans, then we could make a real difference, right? If we can just look more and more like them, then we can really make a difference. We have an opportunity to buy land across the road, right? And um, it's an exciting opportunity, and uh, I'm sure that God could use it. If God leads us that way, I'm sure that he will bless it. And while I think it is an excellent way forward if God calls us to it, I still love being part of a staff culture that gets that if your focus on ministry becomes about material possessions rather than what truly matters, you will always be experiencing poverty in your ministry effectiveness. If your focus on ministry becomes about material possessions rather than what truly matters, you will always be experiencing poverty in your ministry effectiveness. 
So what really matters in ministry? Well, Peter said it like this, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. What really leads to an effectiveness of ministry are disciples ministering out of a fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit working in us. How do we know that? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. Matthew 10, 19 to 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit, friends, is the most significant resource to you thriving in your ministry, in the life of the church, in the life of your family, in the life of your workplace. But you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not have. Can you please pass me my mug? This, friends, is a glorious mug. Um, uh, last week, I was, uh, I was walking past this shop, and I, was, uh, I looked at this mug. This mug is a, um, uh, it's like a memento of a movie that came out recently. And I, was really, I looked at this mug... And I, um, I wanted to buy it, and I sent, my, I sent Sally George. Sally George uh, works in our graphics department. I sent her a message and said, I want to buy this, but I'm not a 13-year-old boy. Is it still okay to be able to do this? And, she, and I walked away, and then she was like, you didn't buy it? So that's all the peer pressure I needed. So I turned around and, and bought this mug, and I was really, really excited about it. And then Thursday night, uh, after we had rehearsal, I went home, and I was, um, and you know when you just start speaking about something, your phone starts listening, and now all of your advertisements start being clued into what you were just talking about? So now on Instagram, every second advertisement that I get is all about Avengers Endgame. And then so what popped up on my um, uh, advertisement was this, uh, it, it was called, it's called the Infinity Gauntlet, right? It's, the, it's pretty much this, but a glove. And then so I was... Um, it was, it was late at night, I was tired, and so I decided to make a purchase. And then so it said, um, swipe, swipe up, and so I swiped up. And then um, and my, my wife's asleep, and I'm in the other room going, I don't know if I should be doing this. And um, I, I, I enter in all my details, and it comes to the last page where you've got to fill in your credit card details. And um, Google Chrome had saved my credit card details, and I, so I was all good. But I came to that page, and... Um, and my credit card details didn't pop up. And I turned my house upside down looking for my credit card, but I just couldn't find it, right? See, the thing is, I had passion. I had vision. I could picture this glove on my mantelpiece. I could picture everyone giving me the praise like they do for my mug now. No one gives me praise for my mug, by the way. I had opportunity. But the truth is that you cannot give what you do not have. I had vision, I had passion, I had opportunity. But if you do not have the spirit inside of you overflowing, then you are missing out on the greatest resource for the faithfulness and effectiveness of your Christian ministry. You might feel like you have nothing to give. 
You might feel like you're out-resourced and outnumbered. But it is also true that if you're a Christian in this place, that if you've called upon the name of the Lord, if you've leaned upon the name of the Lord, then you have the most significant ministry resource. You have the person of the Holy Spirit residing inside you. Not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, but by the grace of God, you've been empowered through the provision given to you by the Father at the great cost of the risen Lord Jesus. Sometimes I wish I was smarter, friends. God has given me something better. Sometimes I wish I was cooler. I don't know if you felt like that before. God has given you someone better. Sometimes I wish I was more well-liked. I'm a slow burn, right? God has given you something better. It's the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need to repent before the Lord because we feel like we're ministering out of lack, forgetting that God has given us more than we could ever need. We just need to be the kind of church that gives people what Christ has purchased for us. The greater miracle of Jesus points outward to, for us to be a church that ministers with compassion because Christ's compassion has reached us. The greater miracle of Jesus points inwards to remind us that he empowers us for faithful ministry. And lastly, the greater, ministry, uh, the greater miracle of Jesus points us forward to a time where we will experience complete peace with God. Look down at your Bibles in verse 11. And this should absolutely blow our minds. Uh, verse 11, while he, that being the paralytic man, clung to Peter and John, all the, people, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's the outer court of the temple. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? And here we see, friends, one of the, the most incredible accusations held at, held at the Jews. It is incredible because, incredible because of its truthfulness, but it's also incredible because of its significance. Look down in, in verse 13. Uh, this is Peter speaking. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, friends, this is an incredible accusation that would have cut the heart of the Jews. The Jews were expecting a Messiah. How do they know that? How do we know that? Because God promised it. He's saying back, in, uh, back at the time of Abraham, you were promised a saviour. For generations you were waiting for the Saviour. You prayed asking for the Saviour to come. And when the Saviour out of God's grace was given to you, you handed him over like lambs to a slaughter. You knew your lack, yet you rejected your Saviour anyway. This is actually what most people do. They recognise their desperate need of a saviour and choose to reject him anyway. The problem is when you reject Jesus, you're not just rejecting a hope for salvation, you're rejecting the only hope for salvation. The truth is that the good news of the gospel is only the good news because um, without it we have bad news. 
The first half of the gospel, friends, is that uh, we rejected God. Now, God longed for us to be able to experience Him and to enjoy Him forever, to live in His presence, but we decided to be our own gods. We decided to reject life and life in all of its fullness, and we thought that we knew better. So we chose to go our own way and to create this world of selfishness, this world of pride, this world of fear, this world of, uh, this world of idolatry. And the great announcement from heaven is that our just judge will judge every sinful act and every unrepentant sinner, every unrepentant sinner will experience total separation from God in hell. Now, that is the first half of the gospel. That is an incomplete gospel. Look down at verse 17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins might be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. God made a way. This is absolutely incredible for the Jewish people. The Jewish people were promised a Messiah. The Jewish people prayed for a Messiah. Generations go by and they finally receive a Messiah and they choose to hand him over like a lamb to the slaughter. And rather than God in his complete right, who could have just said, you are all rejected, he continued to extend his grace and his mercy to us so that even though we have spent our lifetime rejecting God, God has offered us a way to experience his hope and mercy, even though we do not deserve it. We have deeply offended God. We have tried to live our own way and God's mercy extends to us anyway. We believe that we deserve to live by our own way. And God is saying, I know how you can experience life and life in all of its fullness. And it is not that way. It is this way. And in this way, you can experience peace forevermore. See, in the kingdom of God, peace with God is something quite special. It's not about uh, silence. Um, in... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had a fight on a Saturday afternoon and so we weren't speaking to each other for a couple of hours. And then so if you were to sit on the fence of our backyard and look into our house, you would see silence, but friends, you would not see peace. You would see two people not speaking to each other. But when God forgives us, friends, it's not that he um, refuses to hold a grudge against us and sends us on, his, on our merry way. What is actually happening when we experience peace with God is that God forgives you and calls you his child. He forgives you and calls you one of the family. That whenever you have heard this call to repent and turn to him, it is this great announcement that he knows you've rejected him. He knows that you've spent so much of your life living your own way. But God's grace is greater still. And you might have walked into this building with no great desire to turn to him, no great desire to live for anyone but yourself. God knew that coming in and he extends his grace and mercy to you anyway. He longs to call you his child. 
Do you feel lost? God wants you to be found. Do you feel shame? God wants you to know liberty. Do you feel excluded? God wants you to know your true identity as children of the Father. That is the greater miracle. This this miracle, this paralytic man, reveals the character and nature of God. Uh, Let me give a little preamble before I say what uh, what I'm about to say. And the band can come back up at this point. Um, let me say this first. I do, I do believe that you can be a Christian and have voted for either party over the weekend. That's my personal conviction. Um, but for this story, I need to tell you the way that I voted, but I need you to understand that you can be a Christian either way. Um, so yesterday, I went to the polls and voted, and um, I voted Liberal, and I expected a Labour result. And then so uh, the, all the polls indicated leading up, all the exit polls are telling us the same thing. And then so as the day was going on, um, I, I expected nothing to change. And then at night I was at home on Netflix scrolling through the phone and I see that uh, the Liberal Party um, has got a, got a lead. And I started getting, like, getting happy, as you would if it was the party that you're interested in. And then so as the night goes on, the lead starts being extended and I was really, really confused because I was watching a channel and they were still calling as a Labour, we're going to win. And then it got right to the end and, then, and the Liberals won. I started getting excited. And um, then, then it got to about half an hour afterwards that uh, the result had been declared and this hollowness um, filled my heart over the, um, over the victory. And I do believe that God wants you to engage in politics, and I've written about that online. I do believe that he wants you to be compassionate and put other people before yourself. But I thought about um, my family who don't know the Lord and the many people that don't know the Lord, the millions of people that find their ultimate hope in things that will pass away. And those people have names. Because there are millions of Australians who believe that their ultimate hope in life is found through political allegiances, and it's not. And even if your party won yesterday or if your party lost, our true hope is not found in a political allegiance. If you voted for Liberal government, here's a shock, Labor will one day get in. Our hope is not in political allegiances. God wants you to engage in politics. He wants you to be compassionate. He wants you to think about others before yourself. He wants you to think of generations to come. He wants you to think about the economy. But do you know what else He wants? He wants you. He wants you for eternity. He wants you for eternity. And there are millions of people right now in Australia who are saying thanks, but no thanks. I want to ask you the question tonight. Who is your true hope in? Who is your true hope in? Governments rise, governments fall even governments that can do great things? Is your hope in the gift that your circumstance in your life would turn and would pivot, that you'd get that job that you really want or you would meet that person that you want to date or that you'd feel more fulfilled? Is your great hope in the gift, the miracle of the gift? Or is tonight your opportunity to repent and receive the miracle of the giver? He longs to bring you peace tonight. You just like to bow your head and close your eyes. In the culture of our church, this isn't anything mystical, but it just gives privacy to people here. 
I do know that in my life, many, many times, many, many times, I worship the gift rather than the giver. And it is a hollow experience. Friends, there would have come a day where that man's legs worked no more, where he passed away. But he had Jesus. The passage says that he went into the temple praising God. Every good gift will pass away, but the giver will not. I would love to pray for you if it's your experience at the moment that you are enamoured by the gifts of life and have forgotten to worship the giver. If that is you, just in the privacy of a dark room with um, no one else looking around but me, would you, would you feel comfortable to raise your hand so I might know to pray for you? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If um, coming in here tonight, the second group of people that I wanted to speak to, if you came in tonight and you did not call uh, Jesus your Lord and Saviour and you recognise that the gifts that you've received in life, no matter how good they are, they are hollow, and you'd like for me to pray with you that first prayer where you would come to know Lord, the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you'd like me to pray for you. With no one else looking around, could you just raise your hand so I might know to pray for you? God, you are a mighty God. You're a God that is worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of our affection. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us. We worship you for them. God, we ask you to increase our perspective tonight. Help us see you for how great you are, for how big you are, for how worthy of worship you are. Help us be people in our life that constantly turn to you, knowing that you're greater, that you are eternal and worthy of our worship. And I pray for any person in this room tonight walking in here is so focused on the gift that they just struggle to get their gaze back to you. Would you, by your Spirit, perform the miraculous? Would you cause our hearts to repent out of your kindness and turn back to you, worshipping you, adoring you, trusting in you for every good thing in our life. God, we worship you. God, we believe in you and help us believe.